This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Hey there, glad you're here. My name is Adam Ritz. This is The Adam Ritz Show. We cover public affairs in hopefully a fun way, in an interesting way, talking about foundation work, charities, and more. And I wanted to touch on a foundation we talked about last week, give you the update. Dallas Clark, former tight end in the uh, NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Colts, wrapped up his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he played his college days at the University of Iowa, uh, where he was an All-American, by the way. Uh, Inspirational story on the side there about how he became such a huge college football star. He started out as a a walk-on. I mean, nobody even wanted him to play college football. He was hurt his freshman, sophomore years. He was going to quit the team, but he stuck with it, earned a scholarship, became an All-American, went to the NFL, 12 years in the league, plus a Super Bowl ring. Uh, a great story and a, and a great gentleman, too. He's kept his foundation alive after retirement, and he's running a, um, or I guess not running, he's he's going to run, swim, and bike an Ironman this October in Hawaii, and he's doing it to raise awareness for children's hospitals. And he was uh, he's associated with two of the best in the country, the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, where the Colts play, and the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, where the world-famous WAVE happens before kickoff at the Iowa Hawkeye football games. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it's inspirational. You've got to watch an Iowa football uh, Hawkeye uh, uh, football game right before kickoff. Everybody in the stadium, even the opposing visiting team and their coaching staff, looks up at the top floors of the Children's Hospital that's right next to the stadium and waves at all the kids in there. It's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, you can learn more about this foundation and how you can donate to his charity at his uh, website, super easy, dallasclarkfoundation.org. All right, and we're going to do updates uh, throughout the rest of the fall here to talk about uh, the money raised and how his Ironman has gone. And we'll have Dallas Clark on the show as a guest on a future episode. All right, this episode, we've got some conversations coming up, very fun and informative with uh, a college football player from Texas A&M to talk about fatherhood. We've got a story on Derek Zeik, former pro hockey player who's unfortunately paralyzed. Eric Ritchie, a sportscaster in New Orleans, talking about the Drew Brees Foundation. And we'll start with NFL quarterback and legend from the Houston Oilers, Dan Pastorini. It's an honor and a pleasure to welcome back to the Adam Rich Show, Dan Pastorini. Hi, Dan. Adam, how are you doing? I'm telling you, I, I'm just uh, so happy to be sitting here next to you. We had you on the show from the Super Bowl, 46. Right. Met you as you were um, promoting your book. And uh, here it is. Let's, let's get the book out of the way right now. Taking Flack. It's uh, the Dan Pastorini story. A tell-all, an autobiography. Uh, tell us about the book. What was the idea and, and how, to, how did you get to this day right now with this book? Well, John uh, Lopez, who co-wrote the book with me, uh, approached me about eight months ago and uh, said he wanted to do the book. And I said, if we're going to do a book, I want to be totally honest about it. I want to be honest about everything that happened to me. And uh, I said, for starters, we're going to I'm going to tell you right now, I did inhale and I did have sex with those women. (laughs) So that was our starting point. And he did a lot of research and uh, 
asked a lot of right questions, and some questions were very easy to answer, and some were fun to answer, and some were very difficult to answer. But you know, I stuck true to the uh, the plan, and uh, I'm glad I did. When the book did finally come out, I was a little nervous as to how it might be received, but uh, we've had nothing but uh, five star reviews on Amazon.com so far. And everybody that's read the book has been very complimentary. I've had people come up to me uh, at book signings and shake my hand and thank me for the honesty that it's helped them overcome some of their demons and their addictions. Well, you mentioned uh, about being nervous when the book came out yeah. uh, because of the brutal honesty of the book. Exactly. I mean, there are some relationships that you've had in the past that you talk about with, yeah, brutal honesty. Uh, were bridges burned? Are there people that are mad at you because of this honesty? I mean, there are some great conversations in this book. That It's great to see the insight of what really happens behind closed doors in the National Football League. No, I don't think anybody's uh, going to be or mad at me or anything else. I didn't really throw anybody under the bus with the exception of Al Davis, and he's now since deceased. But uh, I wouldn't care if it, if it offended him at all anyway because uh, he, he ruined my life. You know, what can I say? But uh, it made my life pretty miserable. But, uh, you know, it was uh, something that I overcame, and I'm still pressing forward now today, and I've got great support around me, got a great business working, and I'm, I'm blessed, really. One of the things you said on your last appearance on the show was that, you know, being in the NFL and being a professional athlete isn't the cakewalk that people think it is. And, you know, I'm telling you, as a, I'm an average American. A lot of average Americans think, what are you complaining about? You read the book and you see the real issues that a real human being has to deal with. I mean, it's, it's amazing the insight you bring to the, the, rea the reality and the humanity of what you went through in the NFL. Well, you know, it's, it's, I refer to it all the time as the duality of the celebrity versus the private man. And there's a fine line, you know, that a lot of people think because you're a celebrity, life is great. And it's, it's really not. You have a lot of people taking shots at you. You've got a lot of people that want to get close to you that, you know, just want to be part of the celebrity. And then you don't really know who your friends are. You don't know who the people are that really like you or care for you. Uh, I had family members, you know, rip me off of uh, money, you know, money over money issues. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a trust issue, trust thing that uh, you don't know who to trust sometimes. And you walk around blindly. And when you walk around blindly, you anesthetize yourself from the pain, emotional pain that you go through. And then, you know, on top of that, the painkillers and the pain that you got on the field, uh, you know, become addictive as well. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I sought, uh, you know, refuge in those, those, uh, those products. And I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. I think that, uh, you know, the the strength that I've, I've get, I have now and the strength that I've gotten from my, my girlfriend, her family, and my family and friends, uh, you know, is what counts. And, you know, it was uh, two years ago that uh, I had an issue with the drinking. I gave it up, and uh, it's, not, it's a non-issue. It's, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, my girlfriend gave me an ultimatum saying that, you know, the only thing that's going to come between us is your drinking. And I said, well, I need you in my life a lot more than I need drinking. So that I'm, I'm blessed about, and uh, so I'm, I'm, gr I'm grateful for that. I also had Bum Phillips, who's like a, a mentor and a friend to me and a father figure. He also, you know, was concerned about the drinking, and I told him, look, I've already promised her. I'm going to promise you, too. He said, he said well, I'm, I'm good with that. He said, I know you're good on your promises, so I'm not going to worry about it. Now, you mentioned the drinking and the abuse uh, near the end of your career in the NFL playing with Oakland. Do you think those days would have been any different as far as your career um, had you not drank as much during that time? I know it, was, it one hand fed the other. There were so yeah. many issues that led to the drinking. Uh, but if you were stone sober every day during the last few years there in Oakland, would, would things have changed? 
I don't know. That's a tough thing to say. I mean, you always uh, you always have to assume that. Hey, look, if I'd have, if I'd have done that straight, uh, you know, life would have been better anyway. So I know the life part of it would have been better. Whether or not things in Oakland would have worked out, I I don't think so because Al Davis is just not uh, a reasonable and rational, or was not a rational human being. And and if you're on his good side, you know, he takes care of you. And I guess I got on his bad side by breaking my leg, which I never could understand. I tried my best to get back to be ready to play for the team. I was, and he wouldn't activate me, and he just kind of shunned me out and shut me out the whole time. So I don't think uh, back then it would have made a difference. I think it was a result back then of my feeling ostracized from the team that caused me to seek refuge in the bottle and pills and whatnot. And that's, you know, that's no excuse. But, uh, you know, I'm over that now, and I'm never going to get that depressed about anything again. <laughs> Well, hats off to you and your girlfriend for that ultimatum. Yeah, Congratulations you. on your sobriety. Your guidance there. <laughs> We're speaking with Dan Pastorini. Uh, a big, a really big, uh, big day for me because uh, my first team in third grade, 1978, was the Oilers, <laughs> and I had you know the Oilers tracksuit, the 1970s ski hat. I still have that stuff in a box Do somewhere. Right. So it's kind of a big, big deal for me I to be sitting here with you. like that. I, could, I don't have any of the paraphernalia or any of the memorabilia or anything like that. Well, if those, if any of that time and that part of your career was rough, a rough road for you, you can take solace in the fact that there are 42-year-old men walking the planet with nothing but fond memories of Dan Pastorini and that baby blue. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Now, when the Houston Texans uh, formed and became a franchise after the Oilers moved to Tennessee and became the Titans, I, this has always perplexed me. Is there a movement or was there a movement to have them call the Oilers? Why did they become the Texans? I'm still mad and upset that they're not the Oilers. Yeah, that was that was a that was a shame. That was kind of a, a dealing with uh, with Bud Adams. I think that was his last dig at the city of Houston and the mayor of Houston at the time. And he was going to take that name with him no matter what. And he wouldn't sell it for any price. And I think it was kind of foolish and childish on his part. And that, the, the sad part about it, I, I think it's hurt some of the former players of making the, the, the Pro Bowl, like guys like Curly Kelp, who was a prototypical nose guard, uh, guys like Robert Brazil, who was the prototypical linebacker. The Hall of Fame. The, the, right, the Hall of Fame. That, that He should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if Lawrence Taylor's in the Hall of Fame, trust me, Robert Brazil should be in the Hall of Fame because Robert was the prototype of the of the Lawrence Taylors. And then you got Billy White Shoes Johnson, who was not only a great receiver, but one of the all-time great kick returners in the in the game. And I think that the fact that the Oilers are an anomaly now and nobody really knows who the Oilers are. We've been, you know, I was at Super Bowl this year and people just didn't even know who the Oilers were. So it's kind of sad, but uh, this is what you have to live with. Well, I understand the marketing value of calling them the Texans. That yeah. way the entire state can root for them. But uh, yeah. as an old, you know, an old 1970s uh, aficionado, I, I wish the Oilers were back. I, I know do you too. do, too. I do, too. I really do. Now, uh, two stamps that you have on the game still today, uh, the flapjack. You yep. were the first NFL quarterback to wear the flapjack due to your broken ribs, um, which amazes me that 50 years went by before someone decided to put a pad there. You know, it really was. A lot of guys didn't really like to wear a lot of equipment back when I played, and they, they still don't today. There's, a lot of guys don't wear knee pads or hip pads or, or thigh pads. But, you know, it was just a very vulnerable position to get hit in the ribs. And, uh, you know, when, when I did break my ribs, Byron Donzies invented the flak jacket for me, and I was the first to wear it, which actually now is normal attire for all quarterbacks from 
the pros down to uh, you know high school kids. But um, you know that that and instant replay, for instance, that the reason we have instant replay today was a result of the Mike Renfro catch in the uh, Pittsburgh Steeler All Star or not All Star, but uh, AFC Championship game in 1979, and. Uh, you know, it was a great catch, but we didn't get awarded the points, and it cost us points, and those were difficult to get against the Steelers. But, you know, uh, that thing is kind of an infamy nowadays, and, and that's the reason you have instant replay in the game. And there's a great passage in your book, Taking Flack, of, uh, of a time when you were with the Oakland Raiders and an official from the NFL came in for oh, a yeah. rules seminar. Jim Tunney. And he was the actual official that called that a non-catch. Yeah, he was the one that made the decision. He was the referee. And uh, to, that, to this day, he still thinks it was not a non-catch. Every other referee I've <laughs> talked to in the game has seen it, and he said it was a catch. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. That's fantastic. Well, we'll wrap up with... Uh, Dan Pastorini, by um, talking about your properties, your NFL, or I'm sorry, your digital properties, uh, the book Taking Flack is it taking-flack.com. And our, our website is taking-flack.com. You can buy the book there. You can also get it on uh, at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at uh, Amazon.com and Author House. And your uh, your food connection, your food business, food your spi- you sell spices, you make spices. I make a spice. It's called Dan Pastorini's Texas Style Rub. And uh, we're, we're getting it in markets, uh, mainly in the Houston area right now. We're coming out with a sausage, two sausages, a spicy and an original. And we're also coming out with a blue cheese dressing that should be sometime around the summer of 2012. And then I also, I can't, I can't let you go without mentioning this. Um, when you take a look at 1970s Americana, uh, and you look at Dan Pastorini, number seven, from the Houston Oilers. You've got to talk about some things that went on in your life. Uh, you dated Farrah Fawcett. I don't need any details, but yeah. you, uh, you were a guest star on Fantasy Island. Yeah. I mean, do, what, do you ever flip channels and find that episode and go, hey? No, it's really kind of embarrassing when I do see that. I've had a lot of friends that have looked up some of the movies that I did, and they, they YouTube them to me, and it's, it's really kind of embarrassing when you see yourself. But you know what? It was fun. It was an opportunity that I never would have had had I not played for the Oilers or not played football. And, you know, I was not shy about trying things anew, and that was, that was a fun experience for me. Were there was there were there ever um, producers from that '70s show or any when they're remaking the Brady Bunch movie or any kind of '70s Americana movie or film or TV production? Anybody ever contact you to involve you with those? Because I think they're missing a huge opportunity. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm telling you, the very next uh, American film or television show about the 1970s has to feature Dan Pastorini. <laughs> you never know. You never know. We'll wait and see. <laughs> the Adam Ritz Show is recorded live both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com. I want to welcome back uh, a guest on the Adam Ritz Show. It's been 10 years since his last appearance uh, when we were on the air in Indianapolis. Uh, Eric Ritchie, sportscaster with the Fox affiliate, uh, would come on many, many times when we'd talk rock and roll, and we actually went to a couple Purdue games. There's a, a famous story about uh, Eric Rich and I at the uh, Purdue game when Drew, Re- Drew Brees won the game to send Purdue to the uh, Rose Bowl yeah. 10 years ago. And now we welcome uh, Eric Ritchie back to the show. Hi, Eric. Adam, good to see you, my friend. It's great to see you after it. Can't believe it's been a decade. A decade. And the Drew Brees connection still sort of exists because now you're a sportscaster in New Orleans where, of course, Drew Brees has won a Super Bowl with the Saints. He clearly thinks I'm a stalker. I've been following him at all four of his years at Purdue. I went to all four bowl games with the Boilermakers. I was the one sportscaster in town that didn't mind to wear a lot of gold and black, and I would actively seek out those 
assignments, yes, Outback Bowl, not a problem, Alamo Bowl, and yes, of course, in line for the Rose Bowl. Here in New Orleans, it has been unbelievable what Drew has done to this city, uh, not only with the football team, but his uh, his charity foundation has given back so much money to this community, uh, improved schools, improved the community. He and uh, his wife, Brittany, have been uh, a mainstay in this community, and they could run for office. They are much beloved in this community for what they do both on and off the field. Yeah, I gotta believe he could run for office no na- nationally. Yeah, I mean, people love that guy. Yeah, and they when, should. It, well, there's no question. Even when we were overseas with him in London, when the Saints played the Chargers, I think that was the 08 season. Now you have the international media, and he could not have been a better ambassador for this community that was still rebuilding from Katrina. And like he said, just like when you go to Europe, London is a is a must see. You have to stop in London and check it out. He was saying the same thing for New Orleans. If you go to the states, you have to come and check out the Big Easy. So he's got that down. It's like he's reading a script sometimes. It's unreal. Does Drew Brees, from you covering him at Purdue in his college days, now 10 years later, he's a pro in New Orleans where you are a sportscaster. Do you guys share some eye contact across a press conference where he's like, <laughs> wait a minute, I think I remember that guy from Purdue. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that we, you know he remembers those days and we don't really talk a lot about it. Occasionally it'll come up and, you know, uh, kind of away from the the mass of the media. If I'll bump into him off to the side or something and just kind of ask him about, hey, you, you talked to Coach Taylor lately, you know, those mm-hmm. type stuff. But yeah, there's still the, you know, there's still the uh, the, the knowledge that, that I was all, all over the Boilermakers while he was there. Our guest is Eric Ritchie, uh, a friend of the show. It's so great to have you on. I want to make sure our listeners have a chance to get in touch with you, your Facebook, your website. Tell us. RichieOnSports.com, R-I-C-H-E-Y. We do a show at Cox Sports Television down here in New Orleans. So the best way is uh, RichieOnSports.com. You can email us our Facebook page, RichieOnSports. We're still at it. We're still paying the mortgage, talking about sports. So it's been a fun ride, that's for sure, Adam. The Adam Ritz Show, a reality show for your radio. Inspirational and amazing are a few of the words you'd use to describe this next young man we're about to meet. I'm Adam Ritz, and we're at Body and Motion personal trainers in Indianapolis. This is Derek Zeik, a promising young hockey star from Fishers. Derek was playing professional hockey as a 16-year-old for the Chicago Fury, and in January 09, just a few days before his 17th birthday, he had an accident during a game in Ann Arbor, crashed headfirst into the boards, which left him paralyzed. He's regained some upward mobility, and when he's home from Miami of Ohio, he rehabs here at Body in Motion with Mr. Motion, Mike White. So uh, how did you meet up with Derek? Uh, actually, Derek was a referral from another client of mine. They found out that I actually was paralyzed twice and that I rehabbed myself. So therefore, they were uh, looking for someone that could possibly help him along his journey. So what better way to do it than have somebody that's already experienced what he's been going through. Now, I noticed during your workout, there were some uh, movements you were doing with Derek when his his legs would move. Mm-hmm. Explain some of that to me. Uh, some of that is spas is just spastic. I mean, where he's got connection, but what we're trying to do is to reconnect the synapses to his brain again. His signals are being sent from the brain, but they're not connecting correctly. So he still has those movements, which is great because it keeps his muscles toned, but we have to connect the right circuitry in order to make sure that he can control that movement. Over time, as his nerves regenerate, he should be able to regain a lot of that control back. The facts are that at his age, he was in the prime of his life, um, 
he had the best medical treatment available to him that there's not really a timetable on it but I look at over the next three to four years a lot of his functionality returning and it's going to start with the arms it's going to start with the hands when once those connect and the rest of the circuitry can kind of fall into place and with that being said as long as he has those movements down low mm -hmm. then that's possible once those movements go away it's impossible so as long as we can connect that circuitry, there's always going to be a chance. It's just you really can't put an mm -hmm. exact timetable on six months, six years, six, you know, six days. Right. It's just a matter of how hard he wants to work and his mind being strong enough to handle what it's going to have to go through to get there. Now, medically speaking, um, can you explain to us what was the injury? What was damaged? Uh, well, basically what happened to him is he burst his C5 vertebrae which basically, if you picture your skeleton sitting on top of each other, his C5, which controls basically all the arm movements and everything down, just exploded. Just popped out one side because of the way his head hit the board. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's, it was a very devastating injury. A lot of people would never even recover at all from this. Um, but with what he's been capable of doing and obviously his strength of mind, he's come a long way for something like this. I see you as his trainer, uh, bantering with him, joking with him. What's that like, you know, uh, medicine and, and rehab aside? What's the personality like? Oh, Derek's a wonderful kid. He's absolutely, uh, he, he's funny. He, he's, he's your typical 18-year-old kid that, you know, wants to be normal, but wants to also figure out a way to find out what, what is normal. Mm -hmm. What is normal at this point? He went from an elite athlete, the highest level you could compete at, to instantaneously going back to relearning how to do everything, walk, talk, everything completely. But he still has that indomitable spirit, that happiness, that will to overcome that says, I will do this. Not, well, maybe it's just, this is going to happen, period. He won't accept anything else. And you can't ask, I mean, most kids his age don't have that kind of spirit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with everything he's going through with the positive attitudes and the things that he wants to do with his life in college and, you know, he still wants to coach hockey, you know, I mean, that's incredible. That's yeah, absolutely is. incredible to see somebody with that kind of determination with this much adversity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can't touch his spirit. You just can't. So now you're a student at the University of Miami in Oxford, Ohio. How's that going for you? Uh, it's going great. Wow. Well, congratulations. And you're part of the hockey team. Uh, I've been working with them a little bit, uh, a little volunteer basis. What do you, uh, how do you volunteer with the team? Um, I'm kind of helping in any way they, they uh, want to get me to work with them. I, you, uh, right now I'm kind of doing video slash highlight kind of uh, stuff. Do you think maybe uh, you'll work in the hockey industry somehow through the rest of your life? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, nothing else I really want to do. Now, you're part of the uh, the Facebook generation and uh, the social networking. And uh, tell us about your blog and uh, any sort of web presence you have. Oh, I just got a little blog that I started uh, just trying to work on, trying to kind of put my mind out there uh, on Tumblr. But it's really nothing right now. Can we Can we access it? I mean, if I... We give the address. Can we get to it and get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. What, what is that blog address? Uh, ZZ Derek Zike, ZZ .com. Okay, fantastic. I'm gonna. I'm writing you. Okay, we're gonna stay in touch. Um, and if you want to get a, in touch with Derek, if if this this is a pretty inspirational story, uh, you can do so through that blog. This type of injury 
and the rehab involved over the course of years is a, is quite a financial bur- burden on uh, both him and his family. Uh, is there a website, a foundation, a way uh, people that are interested in, in helping out could go to? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's uh, actually on our website, we've got a link to it, and it's the Derek Zeich Foundation, where you can donate any amount of money that you want. Um, obviously, with what we have here, we, we are limited with the equipment that is available to do what he needs. So if he can get the contributions, we can get the exact tools necessary to speed his process up. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, we're basically using manual resistance, light weights, things like that, but there's so much equipment out there for uh, injuries and disabilities that, you know, we haven't even touched on, but they are expensive. And, you know, unless you have the funding to be able to get those things, and we just got to work with what we've got right now. So it would be a great thing if you if you check that out and, and just read about his story. I mean, it, it, it will move you. If it doesn't move you, you don't have any emotions in yourself. You know, it's something that it, it, over time, you're going to grow to love this kid just like everybody else does. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. I'm Adam Ritz, and we're on the campus of Texas A&M University in College Station. Uh, would you say in College Station or at College Station? Uh, I guess I guess at. Okay, I'm at College Station inside the uh, Aggie football complex. It's the Bright Center. Yes, sir. And we are speaking with Brandon Williams. Hi, Brandon. Hi. You are a running back with the Texas A&M uh, football team, and you've got a really interesting story uh, because you're a family man as well. Yes, sir. I am. Um have a little three-year-old daughter. She just turned three, February 1st. Um, I'm 19 years old. I'm a freshman right now. Um, I recently transferred from Oklahoma um, in January. And um, my reason being was to get closer back to my little girl, to be like you know a father in her life or whatever. Um, she, she, was, she was actually born before I went to Oklahoma, but I was like 16, 17, making a decision. We had a, me and my mom had a plan about her moving up there, but everything stuff didn't work out. So... Um, I decided to transfer. Um, everybody, Oklahoma, Coach Stoops, um, Coach Gundy, was they understood, they understood where I was coming from. Said I got a release or whatever. Um, right now, I'm going through a waiver, of trying to play next year, and um, that's basically it. So you're a, a running back, uh, Brandon Williams. You're a father. You're a freshman last year at Oklahoma. How tough was that to be on campus that far away from your little girl? I mean, um, when I first got there, everything was good, but um, I just like, you know, you know, of course, that first month I was homesick or whatever, but when I got over that, it's just like every time, every day, every night, I talked to her on the phone. Every day I talked to her on the phone. Like, I got like, I felt like bad because I was like, I could, I could be doing the same thing, but be closer to her and be in her life, and she can be sharing this experience with me. And I, 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 I kind of felt bad that I didn't like make a better decision of being closer to her. Now, I can't imagine, you're, as a freshman on a college campus, uh, being homesick anyway, just as an 18-year-old freshman, throw in the fact that you're missing your daughter. Mm-hmm. That, that's amazing to me. So now you're uh, on campus at Texas A&M. You're, what, about an hour and a half away from mm-hmm. her. She's in Houston. Uh, how different has this year been being that close to her uh, than last year being that far away? Way, way different because um, the, um, the main point was, was when – like I was to come like I've been in Oklahoma for like only three years and I got to see her for like I only got to see her like three times. And every time I came back, like the first couple like the first couple of two days, she'd be like kinda scared of me, like 
like she knew me, but she didn't know me. So she wasn't really comfortable around me. She she can talk, but she like really want to talk around me. And like ever since I came back in January, I've been back in Texas for like three months. Everything changed. Like she was, she way more, she more more energized around me. She comfortable. She always calling me daddy and stuff. She always, she always want to go to the playground and play with me. She always calling me when I'm not in Houston and when I'm down at school or whatever. Like, every, like, I, like I feel like I'm more involved with her and like she knows me as a dad. And I think I hope as a friend too. Has being a dad has that helped you on the football field? Do you have a, a little more sense of responsibility? Like, uh, like I got a lot more drive. Like, I mean, I've been playing football since I was. I was nine years old, but ever since like she came to my life, like football has kind of been like, even though I was in high school, it kind of been like I like I've been on a mission. Like I I, I got to do something for her. I can't, like for bring her in this world. I got I got to like give her a surprise. I got to I, I want her to have better things than what I had when I grew when I was growing up. So now the Aggies, uh, Texas A and M. Uh, let's talk about the the conference change. How it's kind of weird that you were at Oklahoma mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve. You transfer to a Big Twelve school, Texas A and M. But guess what? They're not a Big Twelve school anymore. Yeah. As of uh, this fall, you'll be playing in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, is that good or bad? Since, since you're not going to face your former teammates and friends up in Oklahoma. Um, I mean, it really don't matter to me. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to play football. It don't matter to me. You'll beat anybody on the field. Nah, I don't no. say all that. <laughs> <laughs> so then. Uh, uh, Brandon Williams is our guest, a running back at Texas A&M. What's your favorite part about this campus? Um, I guess in the um, the stadium, because like Oklahoma Stadium was as as big as they stadium. They big stadium was real, real, real big, and uh, that's probably about it. <laughs> this this is a, such a cool campus. I got a tour before uh, the broadcast today, mm-hmm. and it is unbelievable. I, I've never I've been on college campuses. All across the country, I've never seen a giant ring, class ring like that. Oh, you saw? Yeah, saw. Yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, I, I saw the ring. <laughs> if you're an Aggie fan or an Aggie grad or alumni uh, or a former Aggie, I guess that they don't call them alumni because you're not alumni. You're always an Aggie. Mm-hmm. If you know about the ring, that's cool. If you don't know about the ring, if you have no idea what what Brandon and I are talking about, do a little research. Google the ring on campus at Texas A&M. It's really cool. Uh, Brandon, I want to wish you the best of luck. Thank you for joining Appreciate me here. Appreciate it. Thank you. You too. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.